This is The Legal Impact, the weekly show presented by the University of New Hampshire Franklin Pierce School of Law. Now accepting applications for JD and graduate programs, learn more and apply at law.unh.edu. Opinions discussed are solely the opinion of the faculty or host and do not constitute legal advice or necessarily represent the official views of the University of New Hampshire and UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. I'm your host, AJ Kirsten, and today I'm joined again by Professor John Orkut, our uh, resident business and securities law expert. Welcome to the show. Hey, AJ. So I want to talk about the ruling that recently came down in SEC v. Library, which is spelled LBR Live. You're, if you've seen it online, it's pronounced library. And it, it's a fascinating case of the SEC diving into the blockchain and cryptocurrency world in a in a little more of a mainstream way that I think uh, people understand a little more possibly. Yeah, I mean, the SEC has been looking at and has been bringing enforcement actions against uh, cryptocurrency companies for a while. This isn't, this isn't something really new. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what's specifically unique about library when with the SEC coming in? Because when there's this very confusing thing, we'll dive deeper into it. Obviously, with Jeremy Kaufman, who who, who runs the company, and the way they handle credits within their little ecosystem, and Kaufman's making the case like, no, these are kind of just internal things moving around. But the SEC is saying basically, this is this is uh, basically money the way they're handling it. Well, it's not exactly that it's money. Mm-hmm. It's that they're investment contracts, and investment contracts qualify as securities, and therefore you've, you're subject to the whole federal federal and state um, securities regulatory systems. Um, I, I would say I, I don't really actually think that the library case is really all that um, controversial. There, there's really there's one particular issue um, that is relevant to library. Um, and that gets to the, the issue of the utility of the specific tokens being, uh, being sold. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I don't know if, if the audience wants me to go into any details to like what the test is being used here, but this is the Howey test. I'm sure many people have heard about the Howey test and that it originally was uh, developed by the Supreme Court in looking at the sale of plots of, uh, of a citrus grove that were sold, and the idea being like I'm I'm buying um, I'm buying a specific portion of land on a citrus grove, and in connection with that, uh, the the purchasers were also buying service contracts, and that collection, the, the 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 plots of land plus the service contracts, were deemed to be securities, which is probably not intuitively what most of us would think, um, and a test came out of that. And that test has been applied since the 1940s in order to determine when some type of financial arrangement qualifies as an investment contract. And if it does, it's a security and securities law applies. And how did library cross into the securities line, according to the SEC and the judge that side with, side so, with them? So it's a three-part test. It's Actually, it's really a four-part test. Mm-hmm. But in the First Circuit, which is the, this case came up in the First Circuit, they describe it as a three-prong test. They just take two of the prongs and stick them together. But it's an investment of money, prong one, no question at all. When you buy a, one of the library tokens, you are investing money. Uh, in a common enterprise, so it requires some sort of a pooling, and that can be complicated in certain cases. It wasn't here. This is your sort of classic horizontal pooling. A bunch of investors are putting together their money in order to accomplish something. Um, and then the third prong, which you can really think of as two separate prongs, is with an expectation of profits. 
And then the wording from the original Supreme Court case is solely from the efforts of others. But every case that has looked at that issue since then has said, well, what the Supreme Court really meant was primarily from the efforts of others. So it's, I'm investing money in a common enterprise, both of those, no problems, with an expectation of profits primarily from the efforts of others. What library is arguing more than anything else, and I will say, I think a lot of their arguments get to be, I, I, I get the feeling they're frequently arguing to a public audience as opposed to arguing to a court or a securities law expert, which I just think they would be better served if that was more their arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the idea would be if the tokens are primarily for utility, and that's why you'll see they'll t- they'll talk about utility tokens versus versus security tokens. Mm-hmm. And there is a Supreme Court case; it's the Foreman case, which says if you buy something primarily for consumption, it's not an investment contract, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't qualify as a security because there I'm not buying it for investment purposes. I'm buying it for consumptive purposes. And so if these tokens, so the library tokens, I need them in order to operate and play on the library platform. I guess that's just not a platform. It's a protocol. That's a yes. big thing, deal. Anyway. Blockchain. Anyway, right. So to, in order to be able to operate on the, on the, the protocol, I need these tokens to, to do that. Now, if most of the people who are buying these tokens are doing this in order to, to play on the platform, and it turns out that they also secondarily have some type of investment appeal, that would be okay. They would still, that would be consumptive. They wouldn't be a security. But if primarily the reason people are buying these, even though they've got some small consumptive mm-hmm. function, well, no, then now they're going to be a security because people are primarily buying them for their investment appeal rather than for their consumptive appeal. Now, is it like, in, I don't know if this situation is the is exactly in this realm or not, but I mean, what happens if a company happens to shift into the more security side? Is it the fault of the company for not going to the SEC saying, hey, my these tokens are now being used in a different way? Or it, this seems like... It's possible it starts a certain way and becomes something else over time. Well, so that's the real problem here. So, like, uh, and and sometimes people confuse this idea of the Howey test as defining what is a security, which is not accurate. It defines what what is an investment contract, which is one form of security. So, the way that the, the securities are defined under the Thirty Three Act, it's a it is a list. It's one of the most unexciting definitions you ever read. It, t- it doesn't tell you what are the essential elements of a security. It's a list of financial instruments. And if you're on that list, you are a security. Now, some of those items are easy. So like common stock, you go buy common stock in Apple, that's security. Mm-hmm. Why? Stock's on the list. So if you sell stock, it's a security and it's always a security. It doesn't matter if you are the president of Apple. It doesn't matter who you are. Anybody can own it. You own that piece of paper, it's a security. Now, there are a few cases out there where you've got something you called stock, but it's not really stock, but that's not our issue here. (laughs) With an investment contract, you have to have those three elements. And sometimes what will happen, and you see this a lot with um, interest in LLCs, whereas, you know, like, let's say uh, some some LLC comes and says, John, I want to sell you some of Uh, some of our interests, you are going to be a 1% passive owner in the company. Well, for me, that LLC interest would now be an investment contract. And for me, 
it is a security. The president of the LLC, who actually is the one running the company, for that person, for her, it's not primarily from the efforts of others. If she makes a profit, it's because of her work as the president. For her, it's not a security. It's really confusing. Yeah. It is a challenge with this investment contracts. And I will say, I think that is the biggest challenge with respect to how the securities world currently looks at cryptocurrency. Yeah. It can be, as you said, a security in one person's hand and not in another. It could be a security today and not tomorrow. And then again, it becomes a security the day after that. Very confusing. Yeah. And what going back to what you were saying about the way that the case was being argued by library and intern Jeremy Kaufman, who runs the company, he's very, very much a libertarian activist. So he makes no bones about it. He ran for the Senate in this past election and, and did not was not successful in that run. Uh, but crypto is a huge deal when it comes to the libertarian uh, philosophical movement, the political movement, like all, all aspects of it, because they, they view um, fi- like national focused money as a monopoly within a country. Like, is there any way, like, like is this a, an impossible mission to be able to create something like that? Like, no matter what, the SEC seems like they would have to be involved at some level if it's going to operate legally in the United States. Yeah, I would say, so, and like, uh, uh, you know, when you read a, a bunch of the statements from library afterwards, where, again, I think they're arguing to their base mm-hmm. more than they're arguing to the party that's deciding whether or not yeah. they get to continue as a company. Um, and I think that was a bad strategy. And I think the worst strategy was they could have rather inexpensively complied with federal and state securities law. Mm -hmm. Um, And just like from a cost-benefit analysis, I think that they are spending a whole lot more money now fighting this. And it's, you know, and again, like if, if this really is, if this really is for them an issue of we think the laws are unfair and we are willing to take the consequences and we're willing to effectively violate the law in order to change it, I guess more power to you, right? And I, I'm all for those kinds of movements. I mean, that's how the civil rights uh, uh, um, movement occurred. It was people going out and consciously violating the law because the, the law was unjust. Um, I personally don't think that the federal securities laws are unjust, so this isn't one that moves me. Um, but if that's what they want to do, go and do that. For other, you know, but their sort of doom and gloom of the idea that the crypto universe is now going to end because library has been, or is, you know, is, is being punished, I think is completely inaccurate. Um, a company like, uh, uh, like library could have very cost-effectively complied with federal securities law um, and they would still be operating today. So from the SEC's perspective, this this is still a huge gray area when it comes to to cryptocurrency and the blockchain and how exactly, like basically with everything else with securities, there's this line. When it comes specifically to the blockchain and cryptocurrency technologies that are out there, is the SEC hoping that the courts will kind of lead them in a direction? Are they kind of going off on their own or are they 
Is this something that hopefully one day Congress will step in and make some definitive answers around? I, you know, I, if, if I was trying to put myself in the, the, the shoes of the SEC, so like I, you'll see a lot of comments out there about how, you know, the SEC is hostile towards cryptocurrency, including from uh, some securities regulation academics. I will say, I think that is so inaccurate. I think what the SEC is trying to do is there are laws and mm-hmm. they have to enforce those laws. They don't really have a choice. Like that's what they have to do. Now, they were able to look the other way for the first few years of cryptocurrency simply because it was so tiny i don't think that it really mattered and like that's going to happen like you know we're not really quite sure let's see what goes on here it is a very significant set of financial assets it is a lot of money they have to go out and enforce the law if they don't enforce the law here then what happens with other areas where why are you enforcing law here and not there? I don't think they have a choice. I do think Congress is going to have to step in. I don't think this is something for the SEC or the courts. I mean, they're just going to have to enforce the current law. I don't think the current law meshes exactly with cryptocurrency simply because we're using this broad definition when I think we need a more a more pointed definition to clearly identify these crypto assets are securities, these crypto assets are not, and it should not require a case-by-case analysis by really sophisticated lawyers. Anybody who is in the, the, the business should be able to immediately determine one way or another. And I'd say what's recently happened with FTX really shines a huge spotlight on the situation of cryptocurrencies where there's a huge consumer protection issue at hand if these companies just operate willy-nilly in this wild, wild west atmosphere of, uh, well, you don't know what's going to happen with your money. So just just the, uh, the general advice of don't invest anything you don't want to lose is not exactly the best idea if you're a consumer that wants to get into it. Like, I'd imagine that raises all sorts of red flags for the SEC. Absolutely. I mean, the the, the reason why we have the strong current uh, or, uh, capital markets uh, system that we have in the United States is because it's one of the best regulated financial markets anywhere in the world, mm-hmm. right? And in fact, companies come here specifically because they want the signal that that sends to, the, to every investor out there, I am playing in a thoughtfully regulated market. Um, that's, you know, there's value in that. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there was a big, uh, a big report that was just issued by, uh, 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 by the federal government about the, the inherent or about the risk, the systemic risk um, to the U.S. financial system that can come from the, uh, the crypto market and the fact that the crypto market is not as well regulated as other elements in our financial markets. Is this ruling going to have any direct effects on what's going on with uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, and such? Or is this pretty isolated to what Library was doing? Do you think? I, you know, there's, there's, you know, the, right now there is some talk about how it's going to affect the Ripple case. I think the Ripple case is by far the more relevant case than the Library case. I think the Library case is just sort of more classic. Um, it is. It looks a lot more like. Uh, it's an easier call for to determine that it falls within the Howey test. Now, just I also will have to to tell the audience this was a, um, you know, this is a district court case. This case could be appealed, and the First Circuit could 
the Court of Appeals could reach a different conclusion. You know, there are issues out there about whether or not the library tokens are primarily consumptive, mm-hmm. in which case they're not a security, or primarily speculative investments, in which case they are. I, you know, me, based on my understanding and the facts that I've read, um, uh, it would appear to me I, I would I would side on the the uh, the side of Judge Barbadoro, and I would, it looks to me like this is most likely uh, a security. Um, Ripple is going to be a much harder case. And is it because it's more of an exchange as opposed to having its kind of little closed ecosystem? So, so it's like I talk about it as a four-prong test as a part of a, of a three-prong mm-hmm. test. With library, I think the real big issue there is about why are people buying it. Yeah. With, with Ripple, it's going to be more about where does the value come from? Does the value come from Ripple the company? So is it primarily from the efforts of Ripple the company or is it primarily from the efforts of the entire market of individuals that use these tokens? Which is the argument that gets made for Bitcoin and Ethereum where it's not that, you know, why am I buying Bitcoin? Well, I'm primarily buying it. In many ways, it is an investment. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea is the value is not coming from Bitcoin, you know, the company, it's coming from this network collectively working together. And so that idea is, well, maybe that is enough to get you out of this being a security. And that's the position that the SEC has largely taken with regards by name when they've said, we don't think Bitcoin or Ethereum is a security. There was a famous speech by Bill Hinman, uh, I think it was in 2018, where he made that statement that uh, the SEC doesn't think that um, uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum are securities. Now, whether that's still true today, I don't know. I mean, how many tens of thousands of dollars does a Bitcoin have to be worth before it starts raising a bunch of red flags? Yeah, you know, but it's not about the. But again, yeah. it's not about that. It's really it's just just a structural analysis. Yeah. You're just sort of going through and does this qualify qualify under the test? Now, you know, should Bitcoin or Ethereum be judged and treated as securities just like any other sort of significant financial instrument uh, of that nature? You know, I don't know. We'll find out in the coming years, most likely, with a lot of the, these cases. Yeah. Professor John Orkut, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for listening to Legal Impact, presented by UNH Franklin Pierce School of Law. To help throw a word about the show, please be sure to subscribe and comment on your favorite podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Get the backups to the show and podcast links at law.unh.edu slash podcast.